Coming up in this episode, we have the last of our listener favorite interviews. This time, we're going to be shining the spotlight on groundbreaking author Suzanne Brockman. Welcome to episode 272 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff Adams, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, everyone. Welcome back, Rainbow Romance readers. We're so glad you could join us for another episode. We want to wish our listeners who are celebrating Hanukkah this week a very happy and safe and joyous holiday week coming up. Of course, this is also the season for a lot of movies. And there are some ones coming up this week that we want everyone to know about. Coming your way on December 11th, Netflix is going to premiere the movie adaptation of the Broadway musical The Prom, featuring people like Nicole Kidman and Meryl Streep. Andrew Rannells is going to be in it as well. We're really looking forward to seeing how Ryan Murphy took this fabulous Broadway show and adapted it for the small screen. Yeah, I cannot wait for this. I adored the show when we saw it a couple years back, and I'm excited by the trailer, so I'm really looking forward to this one. And premiering on Saturday, December 12th, Lifetime Television is bringing us the gay Christmas movie, The Christmas Setup, which is going to star real-life married couple Blake Lee and Ben Lewis. Yeah, this one also has been on my radar of things to watch since Lifetime first announced its slate of holiday movies this season, and I can't wait to see what they do with what I think is probably the first gay Christmas romance that airs on cable TV. And last but not least, on Sunday, December 13th, Dashing in December, it stars Juan Pablo de Pace, Peter Porte, and Andy McDowell. And it's going to premiere simultaneously on the Paramount Network, Logo, Pop, and TV Lands. So check your local listings to see where it is available for you. Having all these movies airing back-to-back over one weekend is going to be just tremendous. I can't wait to watch each and every one of them. And you can be sure that we'll be talking about all of them on an upcoming episode, too, to let you know what we thought of them. Of course, this is the season for giving, and we've been telling you about the gift packages that are available from Libro.fm. We really love Libro.fm because when you purchase an audiobook from them, a portion of those sales go to a local bookstore of your choosing, which means you're supporting a local business at the same time that you're getting one of your favorite audiobooks. They have tremendous gift packages available, and in this season, when local bookstores need so much more support because of everything that's gone on in 2020, they're giving even more proceeds to your local establishment. So if you want to explore the gift options that you can give to your friend, to family, or frankly, even to yourself, you can go to biggayfictionpodcast.com slash audio gift and see what is available for purchase there. Those special packages will be available through the end of the year. And now we'd like to take a brief moment to introduce you to another show that is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Here's Katie and V to tell us all about This Lesbian Ship is Intense. Hey everyone, I'm Katie. And I'm V. And we are This Lesbian Ship is Intense. We're a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. And in our podcast, we cover TV shows, movies, and really any other form of media with lesbian characters. We break down shows from a queer point of view. We gush over our favorite ships, and we critically analyze the impact of media on our community. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Now, before we get to the interview portion of our episode, we want to make a special announcement. The Big Gay Fiction Book Club pick for the month of December is going to be All Through the Night, the classic romance by Suzanne Brockman. So excited that we're doing this book for book club. And given that All Through the Night is set In the Christmas season, it's why we pick the book for December, and it's also why we decided to air Suzanne Brockman as the listener favorite for the month of December. I still remember vividly when I opened my inbox one evening and I had an email from Suzanne Brockman contacting the podcast because she was asking if she could come on the show along with her son, Jason T. Gaffney, and her husband, Ed Gaffney, to talk about the California comedy series that they were working on together. This was back in 2017. The show was not even two years old yet, and here was this big New York Times best-selling author getting in touch with little old us. <laughs> I think we were both suitably gobsmacked by the event. 
Suze is one of the most wonderful people that you could know. It's been really wonderful talking with her a couple times over the years and getting her history on her efforts to include gay characters in romances, everything she did with FBI agent Jules Cassidy in her Troubleshooter series, which of course led to Jules and Robin getting married and all through the night. Truly a tremendous career that she's had, and it's such an ally for LGBTQ plus people and getting their inclusion into romances. We're going to start off with a discussion about her efforts to get gay characters in her books before the Troubleshooters series. That was 93 that you started, yep. and of course you've got your book Future Perfect, and it was yes. back then you were told that you actually couldn't have even a minor secondary character who was gay. That's right. That's right. I wrote the book and it was set in a small town in Western Mass. My original title for the book is Bed and Breakfast. And it's about this young woman who runs a bed and breakfast and she's, you know, she's she's a member of the community and, and her best friend is the sister of the town sheriff. And uh, the town sheriff happens to be a gay man. And he's he's got a partner and 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 he plays a small but pivotal role in the story. He's, you know, he's an on-page character and he's funny. He's witty. He's charming. He's, you know, he's all the things that that he should he needs to be for the book. And in my initial revision phone call after the book was bought, it was the first book. It was um, bought by Meteor Publishing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Meteor Publishing. Hmm, What is wrong with that name? Well, they my book was the last book they ever published. They'd done hundreds of category romances before I sold to them. But Harlequin silhouette kind of crushed them and bought them out and and they stopped publishing but yeah my book my first book was their last book which was you know hey publishing 101 right (laughs) but that that initial phone call was just such a it was so weird because here I was okay so what is it it's 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 probably 92 so I'm 32 years old I'm this you know young woman my son is seven he's clearly he's clearly gay because you know I mean you know I mean I, I see him and 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 I'm thinking why I can't have a gay character in a in a romance novel and and her her response was um, that they would they would get angry letters and and I thought that's not okay <laughs> I mean it's not okay to not have characters in my in that, but not to not write the book I want to write with the characters I want to write, and and but at that point I was really very powerless. I went along with it. It, it you know, I bit my tongue and I changed the character, but and it and, but it stayed with me. The idea that my son is growing up in a world where his presence isn't welcome as a secondary character in a in a love in a you know funny little romance novel like that's we got to do something about that and and I and I kind of approached my career from that point on as as pushing the edge of the envelope and seeing can I okay so that publisher doesn't want gay characters I'm just going to just keep having them show up and and I'm going to wait for I'm going to wait to be told to take them out and and there's going to come a point where I'm going to say no where where I'm going to say that my line is is you know what I'll find another publisher who wants to to publish my books and and is willing to to have them as I'm writing them with my my realistic diverse and lovely world and so so my first book uh, my first book in the Tall Dark and Dangerous series which uh, was Prince Joe was my first Navy SEAL series that I wrote for uh, Silhouette Intimate Moments the heroine has a brother who's gay and he was not an on-page character, so she she talks about him with the hero, and she loves him, and she's you know unconditional in her support of him, and and that was okay. We he got to stay in the book, and it was like okay. So now what am I going to do? How am I going to push this a little bit further? So now at least we can at least mention that we have gay people in our lives that we love. Now how do we how do where do we go from here? And so I kind of I kind of just every time I was writing a book, I tried to get a little more. I, I tried to push a little bit harder. And and my my mission statement applied to characters of color too. One of the first things that I noticed when I when I was um first starting out writing romance in the early so 1990 through 92 when I was just like kind of kind of learning what what was a romance novel for the 90s. What what it was different from the you know the the books that I that my mother was reading in the 70s. And and one of the things I noticed that 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 
besides the fact that he, that the heroes had often had names like Chance and Trey and you know and Rain and you know like and like can't we have a hero named Joe? Like like Joe's a really good name. But but I noticed that everybody lived in in Whitelandia where they were they were straight, they were Christian, and they were white. And 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 I thought that's not the world I live in there I live in you know I'm in I'm in the urban Boston area and there's a lot of different people on my street and they they and I want to write a book about a guy named Joe <laughs> and a guy named Hank and a guy named Irving and a guy you know and on and and a heroine named Jane and have the world look like my world and so that was I was always pushing to do that and again I got a lot of you know the the sidekick was Asian in a book I wrote for Silhouette um, it was they, they called it love with the proper stranger and the FBI hero had a had a sidekick and uh, he was Asian and and I got the message from the powers that be that said well if you you need to you need to change him because you won't be asked to write a, his a sequel if in if he's Asian, <laughs> I mean they worded it. I mean they, I, I think I'm probably not wording it. I mean they were a little more careful in their wording. Make him make him more different, you know, make him a little bit different so that you can write the sequel. And you know, and I and I was like, nope. And they did not want the sequel. And and it was just so it was really you know so this was the 90s and and romance was pretty different back then. But we it needed authors to push that envelope to to keep like saying to say no to say you know what I'm gonna write a book with african-american characters and 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 main characters and you know like and at the time you know that was that was something i was driven a lot by my desire for for jason to grow up in a world that didn't prohibit him from existing in a romance novel so well you so yeah, you yeah. finally got that in like in 2001 by the time he was a teenager so it was it was pretty interesting ground to to be treading on, you know. And I I, I got really lucky. I I connected with my editor at Ballantine Books when I started writing my troubleshooter series, and and she was completely on board for my diverse universe, and 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 that was that support was really important, you know. I didn't I didn't have to go into battle with every single book that I was writing just because of the you know whatever angry letters they imagined they were going to get which is just <laughs> what was your genesis for Jules who you introduced in troubleshooters number 2 yeah i i knew that i wanted to write a character i knew that first of all i knew that my i was writing military romantic suspense and i knew that my readership was incredibly they skewed very socially conservative and and taking what I knew about my readers, I I and I I knew that that they probably lived in parts of the country where being out was probably very dangerous. So they knew gay people, but they probably didn't know that they knew gay people. And and what I decided to do was I decided to was to write them a gay best friend. And I created Jules Cassidy and and gave and gave him to them. He was originally he walked onto the page as as Alyssa Locke, one of my major secondary characters who was gonna ha who had a story arc that that went throughout the series. She was a woman of color, an FBI agent, a former Navy sharpshooter, and and I planned out her romance with one of um, my kind of popular Navy SEAL characters, guy Sam Starrett. He's from Texas. He's He starts off the series kind of homophobic and, and ignorant, very ignorant, smart guy, but definitely ignorant. And and so I, I, I gave Alyssa a partner in the FBI who was this um, really adorable, <laughs> witty, Gay man. So I basically, I basically followed the rules of witty gay sidekick, right? That's that's you know it's, it was earlier in literature, gay people were the serial killers. So witty gay sidekick is a step up, right? I think we can all agree <laughs> that. I mean, it's not perfect, but but it included witty gay sidekick is of course asexual. So you get to be fabulous, and I mean you guys know this, right? But but don't have sex. But that's how I introduced Jules. Like 
very very safe and and so in the in the first book that he's in the defiant hero he he shows up he's fabulous he makes people laugh and he meets the team of seals and sam reacts to him in a homophobic way and Alyssa then it creates a conflict between him and Alyssa because Alyssa. So I, I kind of gave readers a, a, a choice of kind of ca- characters to relate to. They could either be Sam with his like, who's that scary gay guy? I don't know him. I need to be careful around him. I don't trust him. Or Alyssa, who is is the you know best friends with with the scary gay guy. And throughout the the series, I basically planned out my my journey for. Jules and Sam to become really good friends because it's all about getting to know me, right? It's about it's about become like not like putting a putting a a, a face to 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 a stereotype and and to killing the stereotype by the reality of here I'm talking to a person and and so I let I let Sam take that journey in real time through the books and so for example so in Defiant Hero he meets Jules and he's like scary gay guy don't turn my back on him you know all the stupid stupid things that that homophobes say when they they meet somebody but Jules is a incredibly skilled FBI agent he's in, he's hero material he's this incredible heroic guy and he's a great partner to to the seal to the seals and the seal team. So so throughout the books, you know, the next book it's over the edge. It's a takedown of a hijacked airplane, and and Jules is on the scene again with Alyssa, and and he and Sam have have a moment kind of bonding over their their affection for Alyssa, and and their friendship starts to grow. And Sam finds out in that book that Jules has a live-in lover. And and he gets to react to that, and and we and and it's like oh wait a minute so Jules maybe isn't is isn't the asexual sidekick, but it's off page. It's nice and safe for the readers. And so then in the next book we find out more about Jules, and we find out that we and Sam find out that that Adam has left Jules and broken his heart, just like Sam's heart has been broken by Alyssa. And it's and Sam has this moment of. Oh, Jules really loved this guy, and it's something that he hadn't thought about before. About that being gay isn't isn't is, is about being a person and falling in love, and 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 so 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 I let my readers take the journey with Sam and and learn about Jules, and and throughout <laughs> throughout this journey, Jules is a skilled FBI agent who always saves the day. And if I needed to have a character come in, you know, Deus Ex Machina. Here I come to save the day. It was always Jules. It's like, and my message to the readers was, was okay. Here's this out gay FBI agent. Is he heroic enough for you yet? How about now? How about now? You know. So, and I, and I really, and I, it was. There are times for subtlety in our in our books, and there's times where you just like let it go with a sledgehammer. And so, you'll if you if you read the entire Troubleshooter series, Jules keeps showing up with the sledgehammer and and being that that incredible romance hero who just happens to be gay and and so yeah so we progressed to the point and you know it so so while this was while I was writing these books I was going out on book tours I was doing the whole you know the the publisher was always sending sending me to Ohio so I'd be in middle America <laughs> in in you know red states and conservative places and when I'd walk into the bookstore we'd do a Q&A and I I can tell you it was so gratifying like the first one of the first questions I was always asked was will we see more of Jules Cassidy in the next book and readers love this this character it, it 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 was just so gratifying to to recognize that that it was that it was working that I was that I was giving readers this character to relate to on a way that maybe they hadn't stopped to think about before and and by the time that I wrote Jules's I gave him a you know romantic connection with Robin and it takes and, you know there's a kiss in Hot Target and we you know when that came out what year was that that was like I want to say 2003 maybe we were we honestly didn't know because of the subplot in Hot Target which is which is Jules meets Robin and and they kiss <laughs> and have and do things that people do when they're attracted to each other and we didn't know if if we would get reviewed by the major review sites because 
because of this. And we, and we were, which was really, which was really great. But we, you know, we went into it knowing, you know, we just don't know. We really don't know. And, and one of the things that, that I did when Hot Target came out was I was ready for, you know, how all the publishers are always saying, you know, we'll get angry letters. Yeah, you know, you get one starred, you get angry letters. But, but I was ready for the, the letters of appreciation, the letters of affection to Jules. And, and I knew there'd be just literally thousands of emails that I'd be getting from readers who were so happy to see Jules finally get some action <laughs> on the page of the book. And, and I collected them. I redacted the personal information from the people who sent them to me. And I put them into, into a collection that I printed out because I want this, the heft of this many pages. I mean, we're, we're talking thousands of emails. And I wanted it to land on my publisher's desk. So I, so I bound it. You know, I went to Staples and did one of those chinko, like bind, <laughs> back in the day, you're binding things. And I, and I, sent, it to my, I sent it to my publisher, my, to my editor, to a bunch of people at, at, over at Rand Random House, and because I wanted it to land on their desk with a bang to counter anything that they might be hearing from the screechy, shrill people who hate, and it was very effective. It really was, and it 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 kind of kind of kept going. But but yeah, so my so my goal was to was to to give these readers who maybe didn't who were ignorant about what it meant to be gay. I wanted to, to, to give them Jules and, and I wanted them to think about what was gonna happen when Jules won his happily ever after in his book and shouldn't he have the right to get married just like every other romance hero? And yeah, the, the response was overwhelmingly positive from from readers I you know the the kind of standard email that I've gotten is I never really thought about it before and I never really gave it I it just it I didn't think you know and and now I believe that everyone should have the right to be married and it's just like yes <laughs> and and so, so that was that was kind of that was that was extremely cool it was that but the journey was was carefully thought out and 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 planned again so so that the world could be more welcoming for for my son and for people that I loved. <laughs> so I have to ask about Hot Target, since that's the book where Jules and, and Robin got together. Did you approach that in any way differently than you would have a hero-heroine scenario and bringing man and woman together? Or did you write the scenes in the same way that you would have so you weren't pulling punches with the audience. Well, I was remember that my that my my mission statement was to change hearts and minds. And so I knew I had to tread really carefully and 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 focus on the emotional rather than the the explicit. Well, for well, for example, in Hot Target, there's there's no there's not a sex scene between Jules and Robin. Would I have in it's but it, yes, I guess, you know, I guess I did I I guess I did approach it differently because so much of their story was was Robin's realization that that he is gay and 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 his he's playing a gay character in a movie he's exploring what what that means as a as an actor playing a character and he comes bumping up against his very real feelings for Jules so yeah so I you know I mean I was I I was very careful through throughout the the process of writing these subplots to to make sure that my readers stayed with me the the people who might be who were maybe hesitant to 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 think about gay people as equals and cuz cuz what, what I was really trying to do was to show that love is love is love is love <laughs> and 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 focus again on the on the emotional sameness of mm. of of the relationship. So so yeah. So I tread very carefully. You know, in it was it was the book that Jules and Robin first have sex is Force of Nature, and I definitely pulled the gauze over the camera lens for for those scenes. And it was it was, you know, I got I got a lot of um, pushback from from the readers who were ready. For, for that, who are ready to, to, to read male, male romance. And, and I, you know, I, I, I had to make a choice and I, and since my, my, my goal again was to, was to bring 
people. I wasn't preaching to the choir. I was I was trying to change hearts and minds. And and I I wish I could have I wish I could have written it. The, the way I wanted to write it, but I, but I really had to be careful because I didn't want to lose those readers. And I wanted them to finish the book and to think love is love is love mm -hmm. and, and, and then move on from there, hopefully to, to other books that, that had, that had gay characters. And, and so, so yeah, so it was a very, it was careful and it was, it was definitely, it was definitely a choice and it was, you know, it's kind of, it's sad that I had to, that I had to do it that way, you know, but, but the world is really different now. And, and I feel pretty confident that, that doing what I did, I helped kick in the door. Going okay. to 2007, Suzanne released a book in the Troubleshooter series called All Through the Night that saw the wedding between FBI agent Jules and actor Robin. Now, that was groundbreaking at the time for mainstream romance, and the book became the first MM to hit the New York Times hardcover fiction bestseller list. How did that book come about that you were able to pull that off? Well, it goes back, way back even before 2007. Ed and I became connected, well, actually, Ed, Jason, and I, all three of us, became connected to an organization called Mass Equality. And this is a, this is a group that had been around for, for a while, LGBTQ rights with a focus on marriage equality. And, and, and the story kind of really starts when Jason was in high school and he... He was home sick, right, Jace? What you you yeah. take it? Take it away, Jason. <laughs> so I was sick, probably like just the man flu or something, something pitiful. And I some, somehow I ended up watching the Massachusetts version of C-SPAN because I actually think I was watching random TV, and I think I think Mom, I think you came in the room and were like, "Turn it to the C-SPAN. We have to watch." And then I started watching it, and. I was completely shocked because I had no idea that I couldn't get married to like I, I was out by this point I was 16 17 I was already out and I had it didn't uh, occur to me that I couldn't get married to the man of my dream when I met him and that uh, these people were having a fight like and it, there were there were words <laughs> exchanged by people on the floor on the floor uh, of the, the state house in Massachusetts. So this was, you know, you know, hot C-SPAN action <laughs> going on. It was just like riveting and awful and and heartening at times, but awful at times. So Ed, so Ed, take it away. Yeah, Ed. The, way, the way I remember it, I'm not exactly sure of exactly what Jason saw exactly when, but I do know this when. Um, in, in Massachusetts, in 2004, the the state Supreme Court ruled that our Constitution allows gay people to get married. It would be an infringement of their constitutional rights to not have them get married. I don't exactly know what happened with Jace, but I do know what happened with the Massachusetts le legislature. Immediately upon that ruling, people in the legislature started an effort to amend the Constitution to basically take away the right of people, gay people, to get married. It was around this time that Jason became aware, as, as, as did I. I didn't, like, Jason came out a few years before that, and I didn't, I never crossed my mind, gay people married or not married. I mean, if you'd asked me, I probably would have said, I guess they can get married. I don't know. I never thought of it. You know, Jason was, what, 16 or 17? Well, the minute he found out that there was a time when he couldn't, and then when he found out there were people trying to take away the right to get married, he got furious, understandably. And the three of us immediately got activated. In and fact, we became exactly political right. activists, from that, activists from that minute forward. Yeah, some of our protest signs are, or actually, they weren't really protest signs. They were more like "proud to live in Massachusetts" signs are behind. <laughs> Those are historical documents back there. I, Susan, and I were marching around the <laughs> the Massachusetts State House with these with these signs around this time. So this is like 2004, 2005, 2006, 2006. and so, then in 2007, we thought we'd won. We had beaten back just about every legislative effort that had been put forward to, to amend the Constitution. And we found out 
No, we got to do it one more time. And this time, out of the 200 people in the Massachusetts state legislature, we had to get 150 votes out of those 200 to support gay marriage. And it was an all-hands-on-deck thing, because if we didn't get this, then it was going to go to a statewide referendum, and it was just going to be bedlam. I mean, Massachusetts was going to be suddenly, Brutal. you know, ground zero for every crazy nut job and his busload of crazy nut job cousins coming into Massachusetts with their ugly signs and their hate and the whole circus. So that's when Sue's got an idea. Yeah, and I was, and we had been doing all kinds of activism from the, you know, candlelight vigils to the sign carrying protests to working for local politicians who supported equality. Ed, Ed did canvassing, knocking on doors, you know, house to house to say, hello, meet, meet me and, and, and let me tell you why I believe my son should have the same right as your children. And, and, and that's a, it takes a lot of, uh, takes a lot of something to, to go door to door. And, and it's not my strength. And, and I remember thinking, you know, oh my God, we'd, we'd had the party celebrating the fact that we'd won marriage equality in Massachusetts. And, and now suddenly we were, you know, getting this conference call from Mass, Mass Equality and the, the leaders of that organization saying, you know, get out your, your candles and your signs because we're not done. And, and I had just finished writing the book Force of Nature where Jules and Robin, these two kind of characters that have gone throughout the series, they they kind of achieved their happy ending. And it was a little bit of a surprise to me. I didn't expect to have that happen in that book. So I knew I wanted to write a book, another book with them. And, and for, for many years, readers and my publisher alike had been, had been pressuring me to do two things. One was to write a holiday book, some, some type of Christmassy story. <laughs> and the other was to write a wedding. And I tend not, since I write romantic suspense, I tend not to write the, the actual, we don't see the characters get married. And I suddenly thought, I have a wedding book. <laughs> Here's a story that I want to tell. And right now, it's legal in Massachusetts for Jules and Robin to get married. So they're going to come to Massachusetts to do this. The story's going to be set there. And I knew, too, that Mass Equality ne needed a lot of money, and they needed it right away. So I pitched the idea to my agent to, and telling him, we need to make this deal. It's got to be a standalone book. I'm going to give the rights, all of my proceeds, sub rights, all of everything, Every penny I earn from this book is going to go to Mass Equality until the end of time. It's still, it's, <laughs> it's still going to Mass Equality. And, and but this is what I do. I, I write, I write stories. I write books. And this is something that I can bring to this emergency situation that is a little bit unique and will um, hopefully keep me from having to knock on too many more doors. <laughs> so, so that's really, that's really wh where it came about. And the publisher was excited about it. And Mass Equality was really excited about it. In fact, they used, yeah, it was a six-figure advance that I got for that book that immediately got to them. And um, they used that money to to make a, a commercial, a, a TV ad that was, Ed, you, you remember it, right? Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a hockey player. I, I can't remember if he was a college or high school hockey player. And he's just a, just a kid, just a yeah, Massachusetts well, kid, right? And he's he's talking about his family, and and he's he's a hockey player, and it's you know totally towny type guy, and then he introduces you to his moms, who are up at you know all hours to drive him to hockey practice, and it was just one of those perfect ads that I mean the whole the whole campaign for protecting marriage rights in in Massachusetts was centered around educating everybody, mostly the legislature, but anybody that would listen to the, the reality that LGBT people are people. Everybody's the same. This is not, this is just nothing to, you know, make laws about. We are all the same. And, yeah. and there's a lot of people that just didn't get that. They never, they knew gay people, but they didn't know that they knew gay people. They, they, they had this image of of what gay was, and it was and completely this, crazy. And, and so this once, commercial allowed allowed us 
through mass equality to knock on millions of doors at the same time. So, so the work that Ed was doing was kind of amplified by, <laughs> by you know, uh, like here, here, Massachusetts, meet this charming young man <laughs> and his moms and see how we are all the same. So it was, so it was really cool that they were able to do that with, you know, with, with that advance money from mm-hmm. this book. But yes, that's kind of where it started with all through the all through the night, actually, with Jules and Robin having their own book. But you know, the whole marriage, the fight for marriage equality has a the story has a really happy ending for for our family in particular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I got married last year. So, did you Worst. go to Massachusetts to do it? No, we we stuck around in California. We uh, Matt's family, my husband Matt, his family all lives out here. And it was warm and tropical, and so we figured <laughs> just it was awesome. I always said, you know what? I am gonna dance at my son's wedding, and I danced at my son's yeah. wedding. It was the best. It was the best wedding ever. It was awesome. Best wedding ever. That's awesome. Did you, as a teenager, Jason? How did it feel to have parents as activists? Was it awesome, or was it like, oh, please, <laughs> go do that? <laughs> <laughs> there are times when I feel like. I mean, they, it was awesome. I'll start with that first off. And there are times that I feel like their activism gets kind of eclipsed by my level of activism because I can get super impassionate, super passionate about it. And, you know, in particular, any sort of group that is marginalized, I tend to be right there to stand with them because every, every group that's marginalized, if we don't stand together, then we all lose. And it's like, so it's, you know, I, I'm going to be there for, for women. I'm going to be there for, for Muslim people. I'm going to be there for Black Lives Matter because they were there for me when I was fighting for marriage equality. And, and so... It's the right thing to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and so it's the kind of thing where, like, I learned from them to be as loud as I am because we need to be. In this day and age, we need to drown out the hate. What are Jules and Robin up to today? Oh man, you know I've done a, I've done a number of short stories with them. I I hope to bring them back in the Troubleshooter series. You know I'm kind of at a crossroads in terms of what I'm doing next with my career. I'm looking hard at at indie publishing and and kind of going out on my own. And I'd love to write a Jules and Robin mystery series. I think I think that could be really fun. You know, like little episodic adventures for them to go on. But I, I'm definitely not done with them as, as characters. So yeah, so you'll see, you'll definitely see more of them. I promise. <laughs> What's your role, Suzanne, in the California comedy series? Because you, as, as noted, you've got the romance experience. I'm kind of involved at the very beginning and then at the very end. So, so I'm, I, I really like the kind of plotting and brainstorming and knowing like having Jason say, okay, here's the story I want to tell. How, what's the best way to tell it? How do I, how do I convey this? And, and with the understanding that what we, what we are creating here with this line of books is basically a line of male, male category romances. So, so what we want to do, we're looking for the familiar romance tropes. We want to tell the stories that have been told a bazillion times, but in male female books but we want to we want to be able to allow Jason and and young men and and all people to to see their reflection in books that are set in a world where where the characters are are don't carry a lot of trauma with them about their coming out or or there's the conflict is not does not deal with sexuality and and so, so trying to fit the stories into the, those kind of traditional romance tropes. So things like, you know, if Jason's saying, well, I wanted to write a story where, like for Fixing Frank, there's these two guys and they, their exes have run off together. They're at odds and they blame each other and there's a lot of anger and, they, and they're, you know, they, they, they have reason to, to 
find it very to find it difficult to be around one another. And so, oh, good, let's throw them together and make them fall in love. And and I, and I immediately thought as he was talking about this, oh, let's use the marriage of convenience, where where we have to our two characters are forced to be together and and forced to pretend that they're in a relationship. What better torture for for those characters? So so with my kind of experience having written a bazillion romance novels and being really familiar with the tropes and and so so that's where that's where I kind of play in at the beginning and we talk a lot about character we talk a lot about structure and and revealing and and motivation and then the guys go off and do their noisy writing <laughs> they're fast and noisy writing it's amazing and and I come in at the end and I read the book as as an editor and I give them revision notes and I say, okay, but you know what? What if you could twist it here? And, and when, why don't we make it go a little bit deeper here? And I give them that feedback and they do a revision and then they send it back to me. And, and when we're finally all three satisfied, I'll do, I'll do another copy edit. And then we'll send the book out to, to an, another copy editor so that we have a, a non-family set of eyes on, on the thing. <laughs> And 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 then it goes to grandma to proofread. <laughs> and I'm serious about that. It really does. My mother used to proofread. She used to freelance proofread um, Playbill back in the day. And and so and she she says that that Jason and Ed's romances are way more interesting. <laughs> He's 80, 85, 86. <laughs> So, Suzanne, it's funny that you mentioned the sort of relationship or marriage of convenience trope. I've recently been reading a couple of books with that very specific trope in them, and I have come to realize that as, like, my total jam. I cannot get enough <laughs> of those kinds of stories. It's um, awesome, isn't yeah. it? It's just... Love it's, them to pieces. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's so awkward and... and, and it, Loud. It, it's well. I've always said, okay. So what do you what are you going to do? You're going to create characters. There's there's two people, and if you're writing a romance novel, you've got two people, and they're going to collide, mm -hmm. and they're going to clash, and they're going to discover a lot about each other and themselves as they eventually fall in love, and they they earn their their happily ever after. The thing you want to do as a writer is you want to torture your characters in the most torturous awful way possible so so you're really gonna you really want to find what 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 makes them vulnerable and grind their face in it and because then that shows that allows the reader to see how they rise above and they they overcome the the difficulty and the real true connection between those two characters is just that much more sweet and as they as they work through that torment <laughs> I, love I love that trope too will i i think it's 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 perfect. It's perfect for for, for romantic comedy because you're it, it, as long as you do, as long as you create the characters well and you you create a pair of people that are that at least superficially are going to have a lot to argue about and to be complaining about. You you force them, however, into physical proximity. So the sexual tension is automatic. As, you know they're attracted to each other. They cannot escape each other. So that sexual attraction will add to the tension, which is driving them bananas. And it's just, it's, I mean, some of the greatest Hollywood movies are, now I'm not sure that they're romance, they're, they're marriages of convenience, but that, that conflict, Hepburn and Tracy, Cary Grant and whoever, <laughs> you know, those, those actors could bring that off with such skill and charm. And, and when the writing's good with such humor, it's just, ah, oh, I love it. I love it. So Fixing Frank was just a, <laughs> man, it was a ball. Once we got these characters rolling, it was just let them go, you know? And, and for the com comedy standpoint as well, you, it's, it's basically a bountiful harvest. Because when I did improv, when I was doing improv training at the Upright Citizens Brigade, uh, I had an instructor say, okay, in that last, sketch that you guys were doing, one of you said, I, oh, I don't like buses. What I want to now see is that person forced onto a bus because I want to see their, their overreaction of how much they hate this inanimate object that has no, like, it's not going to hurt them. It's not going to do anything to them. Uh, and I want to see the irrationality of it because that's where the, the humor will come from. And so 
when you've got like a teacher who's trying to not have a potty mouth and then you put him with a guy who every other word is a swear and you stick a camera in their face, it's just like it's a powder keg ready to blow. And, and anything you do, it, 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 it would be hard to not find something hilarious for them to stumble upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing. It's so amazing to see such a creative family continuing to work on projects. How do these, where do they usually kick off? That is it just one person has an idea and like, hey, let's think about doing this. That's it. That's that's really. Although we have a joke in our family that that it usually starts with an irate phone call from Jason. <laughs> <laughs> there's only issue in the world that's not being addressed, and they phone call us up and say we have to address it. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, basically, it's somebody gets an idea and and starts talking about it, and so whether it's a movie or 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 a novel or you know, it just. Play. Yeah, a play up. It just kind of goes from there. Yeah, yeah. So to kind of give us an idea of this, of these phone calls from Jason that that come, <laughs> how did the perfect wedding, you know, kind of kick off for the family to work on? Yeah, well, it started with a phone call. <laughs> yes. So I was at a event for. I want to say it was for the Ali Forney Center, which is a great organization mm-hmm. helps youth, LGBT youth who have been kicked out of their homes in in New York City. Donate to them; they're awesome. And I remember it was Christmas time, and I went there with my friend, and he's like, "I got tickets. We're gonna go. You're gonna have fun. Let's go." And I was like, "Okay, fine." And so I went, and the, the there were free drinks, and I I, I noticed that there were a ton of naked Santas. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is an event for youth, for donations. Why are there a bunch of naked Santas? And I am all about sex sells. Like, it totally makes sense to me. And then I started thinking about it more and being like, huh, you know, like, I've seen so many gay films where if it's, not about like the the few that weren't about coming out or sexuality were really like sex romp focused. It was just like scene after scene after scene, which also has a place in the world and it can be very enjoyable to watch. But I noticed that there was no movie that was just a romantic comedy with the guys that didn't rely on, on just pretty people being pretty to get sold. And so I, I had had a few glasses of wine. Which and... usually accompanies the irate phone call, I would like to add. <laughs> <laughs> there there and... that may be traced to the origin of the irate phone call. <laughs> and I call my parents up and I'm like, oh my God, I have the best idea for a movie ever. And, and my parents are like, okay, Jason, like, okay, go ahead, tell us. And I'm like, no, no, you have to take me seriously. Like, this movie is real. And they were like, yeah, just get on with it. And, uh, and so then I, I laid out kind of the idea of the perfect wedding with, you know, you've got a guy who has to come home. He's been telling people. It's another marriage of convenience story. It's awesome. It's another, except there's a twist. Yeah. And so, and, and I mean, the story really evolved, like the character of Paul in that movie didn't come until draft six, which is amazing because he's the main character and we didn't know we were missing him. But, but then the next day, like after the phone call where I was pretty sure my parents were brushing me off and not really paying attention to me, I called them up the next day and with the same amount of urgency and irateness said, I am sober I'm now sober. and, and uh, we're still making this movie and here's <laughs> the beats of the movie and we're still going to do this. And, and it was like, who knew sexy Santas were going to inspire me to... <laughs> Pursue a sweet little romantic comedy. Yep, it was awesome. That that's what it takes. It takes a phone call that and conviction again, taking on the very grand project. In mm-hmm. and you never know where it's going to come from. It, you you guys have a really unique family, and it brings. I can't help thinking of the family in the play. You can't take it with you. Oh, I love, love that um, for, Okay, for those of you who are listening and don't know, You Can't Take It With You kind of revolves around a wacky, unconventional family. 
and they're they're like singers and they're painters and they're dancers and they're all wild and bohemian and and funny and that's where you know the you know comedy ensues when a straight-laced family kind of comes into the picture but you guys do uh, it's kind of bananas you do a little bit of everything so with Ed and Jason doing gay romantic comedies together have you considered I mean you mentioned Jules and Robin perhaps having a mystery series as an idea do you see more gay romantic fiction in your future Oh, absolutely. I've, I have, there's a story that I want to write. It is, I want, it's a, it's category romance-ish, but it's romantic suspenses at the same time. I've got, I've got it pretty much all plotted out. The hero, the heroes, one is a police detective and the other is a bounty hunter. (laughs) And, and there's a serial killer on the loose in WeHo. And, and he, he targets guys who look an awful lot like the bounty hunter. And, and so, so yeah, so I've 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 got that start, start, story completely outlined, and I just don't I've been waiting for the right time to write it. But but oh yeah, oh I would love to I'd love to do that, absolutely. I mean, romance novels are subversive. I mean, they're they're the message. I mean, if you think about it in terms of message to women, because women too are told sex is bad and wrong and shameful, and you shouldn't have sex until you know, and it should never be pleasurable. And if it's pleasurable, you'll die at the end of the book. And and so so here's the romance genre that where 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 women get to have sex and enjoy it and and live and get their happily ever after and happy endings you know and and and, and, and so now he, now there's this wonderful genre of you know LGBTQ romance where the, that same subversive message is being told to countless people across the across the world that that you know gay men can can have sex and fall in love and not have to die at the end of the book either and I and so so I think it's I think it's a really it's a it's an awesome thing to be part of that messaging because it's it's just a great message, you know. Sex is sex is a great part of of being in love with somebody, and 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 it's pretty freaking good. <laughs> Suzanne, thank you so much for hanging out with us and oh, giving thanks. us a little of your your history of of bringing gay characters into the romance world. I think it's really important that mainstream authors push the edge of the envelope in all ways and just making the world more realistic in, in, in our books. So I, so I think it's, I think it's really important to, to do that. So thank you for letting me talk about it. This episode's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Don't forget the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. If you want to revisit the original interviews we did with Suzanne and her family, the links will also be there for those as well. And thanks to Suze for spending so much time with us over the past few years and for everything that she's done and honestly continues to do to push for equality. All right, I think that'll do it for this week's show. Coming up next in episode 273, we're going to have book reviews from authors like Elliot Cooper and Ella McClellan. Plus, we're going to be talking about some holiday movies. It's going to be a jam-packed episode, and it'll be coming your way on Thursday, so look for that in your podcast feed. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, everyone, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our original theme music is composed by Daryl Banner. Music